Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. I am Gil McGregor, joined by Kyle Irving. And like myself, Kyle is an NBA content producer at Sporting News and NBA Global. And Kyle does a little bit of everything, but a whole lot of fantasy basketball and NBA draft. The NBA's back, the G League is back, and now college basketball is back. So, Kyle, welcome on. Let's talk some NBA draft because it's never too early to talk draft, right? No, it's never too early to talk draft, especially with a draft class like this. I mean, we've heard so much about Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson coming into the season with that exhibition showcase they had in Vegas that completely lived up to the hype. But there's a lot of college basketball players to be excited about this year. There's a ton of talented freshmen in this year's draft class, and I cannot wait to watch these guys take the floor uh, against some real competition in the, in the coming weeks here. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned the draft class, and obviously I feel like Wimby, as, as we're calling him now, is the, the crown jewel of the 2023 NBA draft class. And if you've ever seen him play, you will understand why. But with college basketball tipping off, you have a brand new NBA mock draft for 2023 over at Sporting News and NBA Global. So go ahead and check that out and read up on these prospects. Um, a lot, a lot to take in, obviously, but you got to start at the top. It, it feels like, um, you know, this will always be looked at as the Women Yama draft, but um, Scoot Henderson is a guy who we went head to head. You were actually on hand for those games, got a chance to experience that in person. So we got to start at the top of what makes these guys so special. Again, you could just take one look at Victor Wimanyama and understand why he's so special, but having an opportunity to see those guys go head to head in person, why is it that these are just like the obvious picks for one and two? Well, yeah, like you said, you all it takes is one look at Victor Wembanyama and you understand exactly why he is the projected number one pick in the 2023 NBA draft. I mean, standing in at seven foot four, this guy is, <laughs> you know, truly a unicorn. He is someone that, you know, it makes everybody else that has ever been labeled a unicorn in a draft cycle feel mislabeled um, because yeah. of how special he really is as a seven, seven foot four, you know, center, I guess you want to call him, but he plays on the wing. He has wing skills. And I think that that exhibition showcase against the G League Ignite was really a turning point in Victor, you know, in Victor Wembanyama's season with Metropolitan's 92 to kind of prove that I can be the guy on this team, even though I'm only 18 years old, I can be the guy on this team to lead us to, you know, even a pro A championship in France. And they're riding, yeah. I think, like a six or seven game win streak right now. And Wembanyama is averaging 21 points, almost nine rebounds and three blocks per game. I mean, this guy is sizing up players in isolation on the perimeter, knocking down running threes. Uh, you know, he's shooting the ball well from three-point range. They're really running all of their offense through him as, you know, kind of an offensive hub in the high post and even on the wing. I mean, there is nothing this guy can't do. He really is almost a flawless prospect. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life, you know, in my five or so years covering the draft here. Uh, and it, it really speaks for himself why he's the number one pick. And then you look at Scoot Henderson. He's someone that has – you know, he has that dog mentality, that winner's mentality. And we saw that going right at Victor Wembanyama in that first matchup in yeah. Vegas. Uh, Scoot Henderson is off to a strong start with the G League Ignite as well, even though the Ignite are struggling a little bit at the start of the G League season. It was always going to take them a little bit to get accustomed to playing against other pros because a lot of those young players are doing it for the first time. And, you know, Scoot Henderson has been incredible for them. The thing for me with Scoot Henderson is we all knew we could score the ball. He can score from all three levels of the floor. He has a deadly mid-range jumper. He's awesome going to the rim, but he's actually shooting the three ball really well to start the season, which is something that we didn't really see from him in that first season with the Ignite. And the thing that's sticking out to me the most, I talked to Scoot Henderson going into his, net, his second G League season, and I asked him, you know, what are some areas that you really want to improve on? 
And he told me his two biggest focuses are becoming a better leader, you know, kind of taking on that floor general role and becoming a better passer, a better playmaker. And surely enough, third game in his G League season, he had a career high 16 assists. He's doing exactly what he said he wanted to do. He's, you know, a little bit more locked in on the defensive end as well. So he's really starting to come into form uh, as a a well-rounded, again, kind of, you know, essentially flawless prospect and someone that in most draft classes would be the number one overall pick if there wasn't, you know, a seven foot four alien to use LeBron James's words, uh, you know, right ahead of him. Nah, it's funny you you quoted LeBron, and, and I like the fact that you used um, flawless prospect about these guys. It, it's really hard to point out flaws in their games or things if they're if you want to nitpick, they're things that are going to get fixed because these guys are eighteen years old, and not just that, they're eighteen years old and they're playing against other professionals. So like like that's invaluable as far as what they're able to do and what they bring to the table and just the experience that's it's different not necessarily better or worse than a guy who's playing you know collegiately this year but it's just a different thing these guys are already pros they come um to the league pro and it's cool that scoot's doing it you know domestically as far as the nba goes in the g league and women is a guy over in france now i want to talk a little more about women yama and especially again for those who may not have seen them play yet but how could you in today's digital age but if you have not just we'll have his, his name in the title because not the easiest name to spell go search him as soon as you hear this and trust me he's even better than we're making him sound i promise now you talked about him and how good he is and we talked a little before we got started he's literally a dream prospect for any team any team could use him we don't say this that often there there are can't miss prospects so to speak but there are ways that you can kind of say like uh you know but this but that whatever if you're going out there, we've had this conversation before. Wimbenyama is the best prospect since. It has to be LeBron James. I mean, yeah. Zion yeah. Williamson, don't get me wrong, had a ton of hype coming into, you know, even his freshman season at Duke with the highlights that we saw. He was really kind of one of those first players in that YouTube generation, that social media generation that it felt like it felt like we were following Zion Williamson forever until he got into college. And then you know, he had a ton of hype coming into the NBA as well. And obviously injuries have kind of derailed, um, you know, what could have been a historic start to his career, but we've already seen how special he can be on the floor. But even with Zion Williamson, I don't think that he has, you know, the type of pressure on him that Victor Weminyama has. Um, And I think it's more comparable to what we saw with LeBron James. And, you know, Mm -hmm. LeBron said it himself in that same interview that he quoted him and called him an alien that I quoted him and he called Weminyama an alien. Uh, You know, he was saying, I couldn't imagine growing up in the social media era that Victor Weminyama did. Because mm-hmm. like you said, you know, it, it almost feels like, and I don't want this to be disrespectful, but it almost feels like you'd have to be living under a rock to not have seen at least some sort of clip of Victor Weminyama because he truly is that special. And everything he does seems to go insanely viral in the United States, you know, or all over the world because of how special this talent is. So, you know, I think when you're looking at some of the best prospects uh, that we've seen in recent years, uh, you know, Zion Williamson obviously had a ton of hype but I really don't think that there is a single NBA prospect that has had more pressure on him coming into the NBA uh, than Victor Wembanyama has, aside from maybe LeBron James. Yeah, no, nah, yeah. and and I think like the the coolest thing about him, or the thing I've been most impressed by that you pointed out is is performing uh, under the hype, right? Like like the games that he had, you know, in, in Vegas when everybody was watching him, I, I was not prepared to be disappointed, but I definitely wanted to make room to have kind of that that thought of like okay well you know he's 18 year old young man i'm not gonna call him a kid because he's seven four he's a foot taller than me he's 18 year old young man playing you know oh you know however far away he is away from from where he where he hails in france on a national television audience like he has a lot to live up to and like it's really not 
like hyperbole to say that he exceeded what we expected from him. Like I think the first game he hit seven threes. What was it? Like, you know, I remember you, you tweeted out a video, like, you know, seven foot four shooter. Like it's, it's really insane to see what he's capable of doing and, you know, whatever, wherever he lands. And we'll talk more about the teams that are struggling in the NBA this season in a little while, but wherever he lands, you know, I don't think the market or, or wherever, whatever it is, I don't think it's going to be pressure that's too big for him to perform um, whenever he gets to the NBA. I think he understands what's um, expected of him as a, as a top prospect. And that's kind of that it factor that does make you like, you know, a no brainer, can't miss number one overall pick because you're ready for the moment. And I think, you know, we, we talk about LeBron 20 years after he was drafted, kind of exceeding expectations that were placed upon him. Again, having that similar it factor, I, I think whoever is able to land uh, Wimby on draft night is going to be a really lucky franchise. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's one thing that really stuck out to me, just being able to spend a little bit of time around him when I was in Vegas, is that, you know, this guy walks into the gym and immediately every single person that is in the gym is pulling out their camera to take a video of him. You know, he's walking. You saw the video of him walking under the uh, metal detector. He has to duck to get under there. He has to duck to get under doorways. Like, you know, it's, it's impossible to miss this guy. And for someone who, you know, has he had never played in the United States until that exhibition game. And like you said, went out, you know, all the pressure in the world, all the eyes in the, in the NBA world on him. And he exceeded expectations. And that's the type of kid that he is. I mean, or young man, I should say, like you said, because if he's a foot taller than you, he's almost two feet taller than me. Um, but he really is just, you know, he has that if factor. He is that special off the court as well. You know, when when the media, myself included, was asking him, you know, what is it like to have this type of pressure on you? He had nothing but good things to say about it. It wasn't getting to him at all. You know, he's excited about it. He's excited that, you know, people in the United States care about this kid who has never even played in the United States before uh, enough to the level that he has all the attention that he has on him. And he is, you know, ecstatic to come to the NBA. He's like, I cannot believe, you know, how much fans care about me right now, like how much people are watching me. You know, he's on the NBA app. You can stream his games. Like that's something we've never seen before. Yeah. And he's ready for all of it. I think if anything, he embraces it. And you know what? He's just the way the demeanor that he carries himself with. Uh, I think he sets even higher expectations for himself than, you know, some other, you know, even the NBA media is setting for him. Uh, it really is just impressive to see an 18 year old kid who you know has his type of demeanor and that type of it factor? It's just very unique. It's very special, and it, it all kind of goes into him being that type of player that you want to build your franchise around. And select with the number one overall pick. Yeah, there's going to be a team that's very unlucky during this season. That's going to be really lucky when the draft lottery rolls around in mid-May. So it's going to be. I feel like this is going to be like maybe the most watched draft lottery once we see it because we'll know eventually right in that moment where Victor Wimanyama, Victor Wimanyama is going to land in the upcoming season you know I was going to ask you a question a certain type of way before but now that we've talked about these two prospects I was going to ask you is there any chance I don't think there's any chance anybody jumps to one I don't think Scoop jumps to one I was going to ask if there's any chance that somebody might jump into the top two but I really don't think that, that there's like a, a chance that Scoop falls down and any of these guys that are in college jump up that being said, you know, looking through your mock draft, there are a lot of other guys that are, are, are worth knowing in the 2023 draft class. There are a couple names that I'm familiar with for various reasons. I can, I can run through them. I know Derek Whitehead. Funny enough, I know him more because his older brother played for the Panthers, played linebacker, and I'm a Panthers fan. I can admit, you guys out there, maybe I get some sympathy from you sound system fans <laughs> who follow football. Um, but his brother, Tahir Whitehead, played for the Panthers a few years ago, so I knew he had a younger brother that was a really big-time prospect. Um, Traquavion Smith, you know, as an ACC guy in ACC country, following NC State, he's kind of like Bones Highland 2.0. Is that kind of a, is that a fair is that a fair thing? And, I, and you were very yeah, high absolutely. on it. 
you were very high on him at uh, the draft combine. So a couple of names that I'm familiar with, but but I want to I want to see these names outside of the top two that that we should know that you have an eye on this college basketball season, but also there are things outside of college as well. So who should fans be familiar with going to a 2023 draft? Well, first off, I mean, uh, you just taught me something because I did not know that Derek Whitehead had a brother that played in the NFL. So that's interesting there you go. in its own. Athletic uh, genes. So sound system fans are learning everything and I'm, I'm learning something new and so am I. Um, but, you know, to your point, uh, there are – so I guess to go back to Scoot Henderson real quick, you know, yeah. what makes him head and shoulders the number two pick over the rest of these players, as talented as they are, is that I don't believe that Scoot has as many flaws as some of these other guys. Like, you know, for example, if you look at the Thompson twins that are playing in overtime elite, those guys, they're both incredible athletes. They defend at a high level. You know, Eamon is a heck of a playmaker. They can both, you know, they're, they're inside-out defenders. They're disruptive uh, on the defensive end. But both of them really need to iron out their iron out their jump shots. You know, Nick Smith Jr. out of Arkansas, a freshman. We haven't seen him take the floor yet. He's another prospect that I'm really high on. I have him at number three on my mock draft right now. Uh, he's a three-level scorer, extremely wiry. Like, he's someone that just brings an energy to the floor um, that, you know, a lot of players at that age, I think he's ready to make an impact right away at the NBA level. But again, you know, I feel like he's someone that he still needs to pull off, polish off his playmaking. He needs to polish his handle a little bit. Um, you know, so when we're going through these different prospects, as talented as they are, I just don't think that they're as, you know, almost flawless the way that Scoot and Lemon Yem are. But, you know, a couple other players, you mentioned Dariq Whitehead. He's another one. We haven't seen him take the floor yet. He's going to come in and be the number one go-to scoring option on Duke right away once he does, you know, recover from that foot fracture that he suffered uh, in the summer that required surgery. And it sounds like, you know, he's starting to make his way back towards the court. But a player that I feel like should be on players or should be on uh, people's radars going into the college basketball season is a 19-year-old freshman out of Houston, Jairus Walker. He's someone that I think is going to start seeing his name shoot up draft boards. I think going into the college basketball season, he was probably more of, you know, on the fringe of the lottery, where now, to me personally, I think he's more of, you know, he's a top 10 pick in my opinion, but I think you're going to start seeing him pop up in the top 10 on a lot more mock draft boards. Uh, you know, six foot eight, 240 pounds. This guy's built like an edge rusher. Uh, he does not look like a basketball player when he's on the floor. He looks more like a football player, but he's so coordinated. He's so fluid. His footwork is really impressive. He can score off the bounce. He's powerful inside. He can shoot the ball from the outside a little bit. That's a prospect to me that, you know, that type of versatility and that type of physicality, he looks like he's ready for the NBA right away. And then another player that has my eye, uh, even just through his play through the first two games, is Keontae George out of Baylor. Mm. Uh, he's a shooting guard who kind of like gives me Dwayne Wade vibes a little bit. But the way that we're seeing him play make at the beginning of the season is not something that was really on his scouting report going into the college basketball season. And I don't know if that's just, you know, something that's happening, uh, you know, in Baylor's offense that is allowing him to create a little bit more with the ball in his hands. I personally have not tuned into Baylor's first two games of the season. I'm looking forward to watching him play in the coming weeks. But when I'm looking at the box score and I'm seeing this guy, I think he's averaging like eight assists a game. That is not something that was on his scouting report. So if he can kind of keep that up, because we already know he's a prolific scorer, he's a crazy athlete, you know, he can defend on the perimeter at a high level. He's someone else that I'm really intrigued by. And then, you know, you have Derek Lively out of Duke who missed the beginning of the season, missed the first uh, game with a calf strain. Uh, he's you know, going to be kind of eased back into the rotation here at Duke, but he's the number one prospect in the country coming into the, coming into the college basketball season this year uh, as a true freshman. He's seven foot one. He's a little bit more of a traditional rim runner, but he's an unbelievable rim protector. He has really, really, really good footwork. Again, like a very fluid athlete. He moves up and down the floor well. We've seen him show flashes of being able to step out onto the perimeter and knock down the three ball, which feels like we're starting to see that from every seven-footer coming into the league <laughs> these days. Um, but he's another player that I really have my eye on. So 
you know, as you're watching college basketball, the season tipping off, I think those are three prospects in particular, uh, Jairus Walker out of Houston, Derek Lively out of Duke and Keontae George out of Baylor, three freshmen that are tremendously talented. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting to kind of look at the, the, I guess the contrast between, you know, these, these guys who are 18 playing professionally, but also 18 year olds that are playing, you know, at the college level, because it is a lot to ask of a, of a 18 year old freshman to play, you know, in these college games against, you know, 2021, 22 year olds, you know, it's not necessarily the level of professionals, but you're still playing in loud arenas, loud gyms, crazy student sections. You know, it, it builds a, a different type of confidence in these young guys. And I think, you know, we see it right now. We see um, Paolo Bancaro just kind of take the league by storm uh, immediately as he got to the league. And, and to, to, to give Kyle Paolo back on his draft expertise, he was on Paolo as number one, regardless throughout the year, he never wavered. Even when the Jabari Smith chatter came, the Chet Holmgren chatter came, Kyle knew it. He predicted it. And that's why he is our draft expert. A couple other names that I, that actually stood out to me that I, I recognize. Amari Bailey at UCLA is somebody you've a little bit higher on than other people. Um, I'm familiar with him because he played with Bronny James at Sierra Canyon. Um, and then Gigi Jackson is a guy at South Carolina who uh, reclassified and he's 17 years old right now, but he will be eligible to get drafted next season because he'll turn 19 before the year is over. So I don't know if you have anything to say. I, I know you want to, I, I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about Amari Bailey a little bit, because he's a guy who I think you are, are, are pretty high on. And, and what is it that you see in his game that has you confident that he'll be able to uh, you know, be ready to take it to the next level after this year? Yeah, I think those are two great players to highlight. I'm um, excited to talk about both of them. One being uh, Amari Bailey, like you said. I just like his physicality. Uh, he's someone that he embraces contact when he goes to the rim. He has elite body control. You know, he has an you know, array of you know euro steps and gathers, and he just finishes in in the paint and around the rim so well for an 18 year old. Um, he has a little bit of a hitch in his jump shot, and I'd like to see him iron that out and become a little bit more of a uh, consistent perimeter shooter. But he has a unique opportunity at UCLA this year uh, because, you know, Jaime Jaquez has gone on to the NBA, and it feels like Amari Bailey is going to be the one that's going to step in and try and fill that role as a scorer for UCLA. And he's going to be playing next to Tiger Campbell, who a lot of people thought he might have been a preseason All-American this year, you know, just a veteran playmaker like that. And Amari Bailey's used to playing with the ball in his hands. You know, I think – uh, he's someone that might play a little bit more of a point guard in the NBA, maybe a combo guard, but I think that this could be really good experience for him to play off the ball and learn how to play off the ball and get comfortable scoring without the ball in his hands and learning how to, you know, do things like score off of cuts and score off of screens and everything like that. So I think that's a uh, unique opportunity for him at UCLA. And then you talk about Gigi Jackson. I mean, he's only 17 years old. He doesn't turn 18 until I think after Christmas which is pretty insane. I mean, he's not yeah. even going to be 19 until, uh, you know, I think, what, three months into his first NBA season if he decides yeah. to be a one and done. And that's someone that, you know, again, he's got a big frame. He has long arms. He's a fluid athlete, though. And at the same time as, you know, as being a 17-year-old, I think that gives him an advantage uh, because of his youth. I think mm -hmm. that he really has a lot to prove during his freshman season to prove that, you know, I'm ready to play against grown men. I'm ready to play against NBA talent. And, you know, he's had a really strong start to his South Carolina uh, season. He's had two really good games. He's shown that he can rebound at a high level. He's knocked down, uh, you know, a good chunk of his threes early on in the season, which is something that I don't think a lot of people expected. But having that ability to put the ball on the floor at his size and, you know, kind of create his own shot, get all the way to the rim. He can make things happen on the defensive end with his length. I think he's a prospect who right now I have him outside the lottery on this uh, mock draft going into the college basketball season. But 
I do feel like he's someone that if he continues to play at a high level, we'll just continue to see his stock grow and grow because he is so young and he is so moldable right now. So I think Gigi Jackson is someone that, you know, for the real draft junkies and, and real NBA junkies that are trying to find maybe a potential diamond in the rough prospect when they're watching college basketball on Saturdays, you know, don't be afraid to tune into a South Carolina game because he's a special talent as well. Yeah, Gigi Jackson, to me, kind of feels like the guy who has a big game against Kentucky, big game against Arkansas, you know, those top 25 programs in the SEC. And then everyone's like, oh, man, this kid is 17 years old. And and you saying that made me think of a couple notable guys who enrolled in college at 17. John Collins uh, started college at 17. His birthday was a little bit earlier. Uh, Alfred Payton stayed for three years, but also enrolled at 17. I think Devin Booker turned 18 during his freshman year of college, too. So it's worked before, um, you know, so um, it's, it's pretty wild to see that and see guys that are that young uh, dominating and playing. And I think that is a very attractive uh, thing for guys when they're drafted to the league because they're so young and they're so malleable into being developed and, and, and really just learning themselves. And also they can grow a lot more. We've seen it like guys like Giannis. These guys like come to the league and go from like 6'8 to 6'10 because they're not done growing, which I think is pretty um, insane. We talk about that. Now I talked about Bronny James's teammate. I guess we could talk about LeBron James and what's looming large for the Lakers. You know, we've talked about uh, the Lakers a couple times on Sound System this year, um, and they still haven't really figured it out. Now, we, we, we're recording this after Anthony Davis was inspired by Aaron Rodgers uh, to get a win and improve the Lakers to 3-10 and 10 on the season. But what's looming large is the trade that got them Anthony Davis because as it stands, regardless of what happens, the Pelicans have the right to swap picks with the Lakers, meaning they could end up landing the number one pick if it happens to be that and having their chance to get Victor Wimanyama, which would be pretty unfair. But we, we talk about the teams that we see, you know, in the NBA and who's tanking or who's playing for this historic draft class. And you have the Lakers are struggling, which is New Orleans pick effectively Detroit, Charlotte, Houston, you know, for different reasons, they're rebuilding, retooling injuries impacted. But what trends do you see holding? What trends do you see uh, maybe changing? Because you know, we also talk about Utah, who is like still towards the top of the Western Conference standings. Um, you know, Indiana's kind of hanging in there right now around 500. The Spurs are playing OK basketball. So like these teams that we kind of expected to just be in the mix for these guys from day one aren't. So do you think that's going to change? We're a month into the season at this point now. So what's up? It, it is kind of crazy to think that we're almost 15 games into the NBA season when it really feels like, uh, you know, things just tipped off last week. But yeah. you know, you're looking at teams like the Rockets and the Pistons. They're already in prime midseason form. You yeah. know, they got their tanky. <laughs> like they, they didn't waste any time to get themselves to the bottom of the standings exactly where they want to be. I think, you know, the Orlando Magic are another team that is kind of trending in that direction, even though they picked up a couple wins over the last week. Um, you talk about the Spurs, you know, they're one game under 500, but I feel like they'll be at the bottom before you know it because that's another team that really is just trying to – you know, gather as many draft assets as possible. Um, and then you even a team like the Hornets, who I expected them to kind of be competing for, you know, that playing range the way that they had been for the last couple of seasons. But with LaMelo Ball out to start the season, I think that almost kind of determined, uh, you know, their direction this season as well. And, you know, that's not to say that LaMelo, who, you know, I, I it, he's an all-star. He's one of the better young players in this league. And maybe he can turn this thing around and get the Hornets back into that playing range if they'd like to be there. Um it feels like they're probably more headed towards, you know, that tank for women Yammer range as well. And then, you know, you, you want to talk about a team like the Jazz, who I think they were the first team in the league to 10 wins. Uh, yeah. I don't think anybody could have predicted that one. They are the most interesting team in this situation to me because, you know, even OKC, again, one game under 500, I think they'll eventually end up trending down where, they're, where people expected them to be. Um, the Jazz are the team that I'm not sure. 
because they really are playing a high level of basketball and they play good team basketball. Like they, right. whatever it is, something is clicking in Utah and they're sharing the ball well. They're playing good defense. Different guys are scoring every night on offense. Laurie Markkinen is finally living up to, you know, that top 10 pick hype. And it feels like they're the type of team where if they keep winning games, maybe they just say, screw it. And they just decide to, you know, kind of compete for that play in range. But at the same time, I also think they're only like, you know, a, a five game losing streak away from being like, yeah. all right, you know, let's start giving guys nights off and let's join the rest of the teams at the bottom. Because, you know, I think they were a team that a lot of people fin- expected to finish with the very worst record in the NBA this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's still very, very early in terms of trying to figure out where some of those teams like the Pacers and the, the Jazz that are in the middle of the standings right now might end up. Um, but I do think that, you know, if we were to have this conversation again in another month and they're trending like around 500 and they're not really looking like a true playoff threat, that we're going to start seeing these teams try and get towards that, towards the bottom of the standings because Victor Wembanyama is not the type of prize that, you know, you're you're playing for moral victories out here and trying to make the play-in tournament. He's just not that type of player. Uh, you know, you got to go all in for a player like that. And I think those type of franchises realize it. Yeah, you got to put all your chips in the basket or all your ping pong balls in there to use the lottery thing. I, I think, you know, we talk, it feels like we talk, like, give the Jazz, like, a light shout out every week. And the thing that just keeps coming back up is that, like, they just have guys that care, right? Like, you know, you talk about, like, a Jordan Clarkson who's, like, not that far removed from being six men of the year. Mike Conley is, like, a solid veteran guard. Like, Colin Sexton, which is, we actually had our, our guy Steph Noah over on Sporting News talk about Colin Sexton going three on five in a college game a few years ago, which when a lot of scouts realized, you know, the dog that he had in him. You have guys like that, you know, on your roster. I think you, you're you pretty much primed to at least stay afloat. And, and I think the funny thing about Utah right now, and, and a lot of things will change, but they're keeping an eye on what's going on in Minnesota because the Timberwolves have not looked great to start the season. And you look at, like, the way things are projected right now, like that lottery pick is it would go to the, the Jazz. Regardless of what happens, that pick goes to the Jazz. And maybe the Jazz are in a position where they're able to package picks. Now, nobody's trading that first or second pick in this upcoming draft, but maybe they decide they want to package, you know, two mid to late lottery picks to move into the top 10. So the Jazz are kind of in an interesting spot. I don't think that they're, they, they know they're not going to try and compete for a title this year. So ultimately, maybe they end up trading those guys because they're playing up their trade value. And I also feel like I say that every week. But, you know, I feel like at a certain point, if, if we're, you know, 25, 30 games in, they're still, you know, five, 10 games over 500, then maybe that's a different conversation. But at the same time, like you said, they're one, five, six game losing streak for us having a completely different conversation. So um, another team we didn't mention, the Golden State Warriors, they haven't been great to start the year. Um, and a lot of it has to do with them and their reliance on recent lottery picks. So I, I guess two things, like, are they going to figure it out is the first question I ask you. And and the second question, do you think that the model that they're trying to follow maybe serves as a cautionary tale for teams who try to like build through the draft and with pre-existing players? Because like, I think there's something to be said for young players who have the room to make mistakes but their young players don't really have that much room because they're playing with Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. Yeah, I think the Warriors are in that like weird sweet spot of they probably expected players like Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and James Wiseman to be making more of a contribution than they have so far this season. Uh, I personally expected them, all three of those players, to take a little bit of yeah. a step forward this year, and we really haven't seen them you know, do anything different than we saw from them last year or even the year before. Obviously, Wiseman excused from that because he was hurt last year. But, you know, Moody and Kaminga are, are two players that a lot of people were very high on. I 
feel like I am the leader of the Jonathan Kaminga Island, uh, you know, hype train. And, you know, he just hasn't really made many strides forward and neither has Moody. Um, and we're not really seeing those guys make the impact that you would expect. And I think that that is, you know, a big reason because the Warriors lost some key pieces in free agency this year, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Bielinsa went back overseas. You saw Otto Porter go to the Raptors. Uh, Gary Payton went to the Portland Trailblazers. So those were like three key rotation players during that championship run last year. And I think they expected these young guys to kind of step, kind of step into those roles. And we haven't seen that yet. But with all that being said, I could not be worried about. I could not be less worried about the Warriors uh, in the slightest right now. I mean, this is a team that I think they have what the longest streak in NBA history of winning a playoff series on the road, and they've started the season 0-7 on the road. Yeah, To weird. me, that is more – very weird. To me, that is more um, – I don't want to call it a championship hangover because they've already won four of them, and I, I don't really think that, you know, you can really have a championship hangover. Like, I think that that's more of them just knowing, hey, like, you know, we can kind of cruise through the early part of this season, and as long as we turn it on at the right time, we can still make a run. I think we saw a little bit of that from them last year. Um, so I do think that the Warriors are eventually going to bubble up towards the top the way that we would expect um, – I just think that right now they're still trying to figure out their rotation. They're still trying to figure out which players are going to be, you know, nightly contributors for them. And, you know, if it's going to be one of those young guys, then, you know, I think that's probably best case scenario for them. But if they have to look to, you know, some of the other guys that they signed this offseason, like the Jamichael Greens and Dante DiVincenzo's of the world, then, you know, I think they'd be okay with that too. I just think that right now they're looking for anybody to step up and nobody's been that guy yet. Yeah, you know, our, our colleague Carlin Gay has been posing the question a number of times, are the Warriors flawed or disinterested? And, uh, you know, we're a month into the season. I haven't really been able to decide whether my answer to that question. I, I do wonder, like, do they find themselves maybe it's too late to to flip that switch or push the button? But at the same time, like, how can you really doubt this team? It's just interesting to see, like, the, the, the discourse surrounding this Warriors team, especially in a lot of, like, Warriors Twitter circles of, like, man, all right, I've seen enough. We got to just – Get, get this time to part ways with the kids. Bring in, bring in, bring in the talented guy. But I think the, that kind of begs the question of like, okay, like what does a package of Moody and you know Wiseman and whoever else it is net you anyway? Like what team? Like what type of team is going for that? Is it like you know a, a Magic team? But but then you're like are you, or for like Gary Harris or Terrence Ross. Like how much better does that make you? Do you just ride 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 with what you have because you understand that like. Steph Curry's not getting any younger. Draymond's contract's almost up. He's also not getting any younger. So it's a really interesting uh, situation that this Warriors team is in. I think it's going to be a a very interesting case study just to look at at where they are because there are not going to be a lot of franchises that find themselves in the same position as they are, but there are teams that do part ways with draft capital to win now, and they're going to face that that crossroads i think sooner or later um unless these guys just figure it out and knowing the warriors look there's a there's a there's a timeline in which these young guys just just figure stuff out and make do or like the the potential that we saw from them and maybe that's what it is like we saw jordan Poole kind of play through his mistakes and eventually became who he is now so maybe that's what we see yeah i think uh i'm gonna throw a dart at the dartboard here and i'm going to say that if the Warriors were to part ways with some of their young guys, I actually think that you might be surprised to see that maybe it isn't one of those teams at the bottom that is completely rebuilding. Maybe it's a team like, again, this is me throwing a, a completely random dart at the dartboard. Okay. Here. Maybe it's a okay. team like the Miami Heat who are, huh. you know, they're struggling to get things going. And, you know, their their core is getting a little bit older. I mean, obviously, Bam Adebayo is still uh, extremely young. But, you know, Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler, you know, this is a team that they're trying to figure it out. But at the same time, they have some young pieces in place in Bam and Tyler Harrow, where if you were to add, hmm. let's say, a Kaminga to that mix or a James Wiseman to that mix, maybe they part ways with a guy like 
Max Struess or a guy like Duncan Robinson or someone that can maybe go to the Warriors and has that playoff experience and kind of make an impact right away. Like, it just wouldn't surprise me if it's one of those type teams that, you know, the, the teams that expect to be in the mix to contend, but at the same time, they wouldn't mind picking up some, you know, younger assets to kind of extend uh, or, or make, you know, their their success, like give it a little bit more longevity. So that's just, the, you know, a random thought that popped into my head as you were talking about what the Warriors can potentially do if they decide to move on from their young guys. Okay, real quick as, as we as we as we wrap up, because now you've got my brain going with the with the concept of thought of that. If you are um Joe Lacob and and, and uh you know the Warriors brass, first of all, let me let me hold a dollar or something, man, because I know you got you got your money's <laughs> long now. But um if if that if that's who you are, um, you know, we're having this conversation a month into the season, the Warriors are five and eight, they're three and seven in their last ten, oh and seven on the road, as you mentioned, to start the year. It's it's middle of November. You don't panic yet. All, when do you hit the panic button? Be, or, or, and, or if you're, if you're the, like, at what point do you think this team, okay, they haven't flipped the switch for 25, 30 games into the year. We need to like, you know, shake something up. At what point do you think it's time that they really need to have that conversation? That's a tough one to answer because like, you know, keeping the Celtics in mind from last year where they were 50 yeah. games into the season before they yeah. really figured yeah. things out. Like if I were to answer that right away and say, oh, you know, 50 games, like that sounds like it would be way too far gone for the Warriors yeah. to, you know, f- be like, okay, we're going to trade some of these guys. But at the same time, like they're, they have so many new rotation pieces and like they're still trying to figure out who's contributing. And I think they are really still in a feel it all, feel it out process with some of those young guys because I don't even know if they know, you know, who they would want, like where those players end up on the pecking order of, you know, priority and, and who they'd like to keep and who they would want to trade. Um so I guess to give you an indirect answer to your question, I think that if around December, if they're still finding themselves towards the bottom of the standings, that's probably about the time that you're a little bit worried about all right, what's going on with this Warriors core. Because, you know, after the NBA finals last year, you know, people were talking about this, this dynasty is far from over. Like how many more <laughs> titles could these guys potentially win together? And now here we are and they have a worse record than, you know, the Thunder and the Spurs through the first month of the season. So, yeah. you know, it, it, I think – again to use carlin's example of like are they flawed or distant disinterested like i think they're still trying to figure that out themselves um so maybe it's at the 20 game mark maybe it's at the 25 game mark 30 game mark uh that they really have to like you know kind of check in and do some reevaluation of all right where are we headed with headed with this team what could we even get in return like you said what could we even get in return for some of these young guys and would that be enough to take us over the edge and get us back towards the top of the western conference standings Absolutely. Just like you just like you said that the Jazz are one like extended losing streak away from us, like just changing our, our, our view. The Warriors are one long win streak from us just being like, oh, well, never mind. We were just we were just freaking out. And like it's so early, I could easily see the Warriors ringing off 12 in a row. And we'll look back at this conversation and be like, man, remember we were asking if the Warriors should just blow it up midway through the season. So that's what makes this season so interesting. I think the, the parody, um, at least in the middle of the pack, has been so fun. A lot of it has been due to injury and, and things of that nature, but it's definitely going to be interesting to follow. But for those teams who are losing, don't worry. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow <laughs> that comes after the storm of this season and he is seven foot four and he is currently uh representing france and playing for metropolitan's 92 kyle appreciate you hopping on here talking through the 2023 nba draft and of course we'll have more uh with you on the draft throughout the season we'll probably check in uh on the ncaa season and Wimbenyama and scoot henderson on nba sound system so Make sure to subscribe and get these right into your feed every week, each time there's a new episode, wherever you get your podcasts from, we will be. 
For Kyle Irving, I am Gil McGregor. Thanking you again for tuning in to NBA Sound System, reminding you to subscribe, and telling you that we will catch you next week.